This is the Lincoln Calling podcast series, presented by KZUM Radio in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each episode brings you the full recording of a different panel discussion held during the annual Lincoln Calling Festival in September of 2019. Find them at kzum.org, lincolncalling.com, and most places podcasts are available. We'll hear from innovators, activists, entrepreneurs, and more covering everything from responsible consumerism to inclusion, wellness, and a range of other topics, all recorded in front of live audiences during the festival that brings emerging and established artists from around the world to stages in downtown Lincoln every fall. This episode is Fashion Your Own Way, From Nebraska Roots to National Success, a Lincoln Calling panel discussion recorded on September 20th at 530 at 1867. Hello everyone, very welcome to the panel discussion today. This is Fashion Your Way. Uh, welcome, and we have four amazing women today to share their stories about their careers, their entrepreneur journey in fashion. So um, be prepared to ask some questions. We'll start uh, by introducing myself and introducing Panner and their journey a little bit. Uh, I'll start with some questions, and then at the end of the discussion, you will have some time to ask questions as well. So welcome, everyone. Uh, welcome, everyone. Thank you for all coming here all the way back to Nebraska, back to Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, my name is Serene. I'm Serene Kim from University of Nebraska, Lincoln. I work at the textile merchandising and fashion design department. Uh, I, my job is primarily to build uh, entrepreneurship education programs and support system for entrepreneurs or especially underserved communities in Nebraska. So welcome. I'd like to give a chance for you to introduce yourself and I'll give you one challenge because this is Lincoln Calling. Maybe you can introduce a little bit about how you found the connection uh, between music and fashion in your career. I'm Amanda Valentine, born and raised Lincoln citizen. Um, and well, music and fashion is my career. <laughs> really, what really pays my mortgage um, is dressing bands, dressing rock bands. So, um, which I learned, um, my kind of origin story is I didn't know what to do after college <laughs> and, um, and ended up job shadowing um, my brother's stylist on their first music video and went, oh, this is fun, I wanna do this. Um, and so I've been doing that in addition to a clothing line that I kinda come back to when I'm not super busy with music videos or award shows. So yeah, so the connection is very clear. So I like to think that my job is to show people what the band sounds like so that they can look at a band and immediately know what their vibe is. Anyway. Hi, I'm Tracy Georgiou. This is loud enough. I feel very quiet all of a sudden. Um, <laughs> <laughs> also Lincoln, born and raised. And what am I supposed to say? I oversee merchandising and marketing at Leffler Randall. And music for me is a connection in terms of inspiration. And I think that what Amanda does when she does it well for bands, it, it really works for me. I'm interested in music and I do 
a lot of theater and so music outside of festivals like this, um, but through all genres. And I think it's something that is part of that mood board when you're gathering a collection or you're looking for inspiration. I'm looking at what artists sound like. I'm looking at what artists look like. An artist at Lincoln Calling last night was wearing a bucket hat, Birkenstocks, and tube socks. And I'm so into that look that I went to Footloose and Fancy today to re-up my Tobes Wade, Arizona. So there's inspiration yeah, I mean, I'm everywhere. I'm Doc Martens again, <laughs> like I did 25 years ago. Yeah. So coming back. My name is Tuesday Basson. I'm also born and raised in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, I own a clothing line called Tuesday Basson LA, and we're <clears throat> a sustainably made size-inclusive line. Um, the connection of music and fashion, I mean, I think both have a really interesting kind of DIY entrepreneurial spirit. It's sort of like a physical manifestation of your creativity in like a tangible way, and yeah, totally. Those are all really good answers. Um, <laughs> my name is Megan Hunt, and I'm excited to be on this panel, and it's great to be up here with so many women who have been inspirations to me in the fashion world. Um, my career has been very um, varied. I've done a lot of different things in my career, but the common thread through everything I've done, I think, has just been the inspiration of arts and music and the creativity that that um, evokes, I guess, in the work that I do, no matter what it is. So. Um, my background is for eight years, I ran, a, I had a clothing line. I designed dresses for brides. And then um, I transitioned into a business um, helping independent fashion designers distribute their clothing through a clothing store that I own in Omaha, Nebraska. And now I'm a state senator here in Nebraska. So that's my connection to Lincoln is, I'm from Omaha, but I work here now. <laughs> um, but. Throughout my path as an entrepreneur, something that people asked me all the time was, well, why don't you move to LA? Why don't you move to New York? Why are you still in Nebraska doing this work as a designer? And um, a big reason that that was possible for me was because of the internet. And as that was happening, I was also being exposed to all of these artists and bands and musicians that I never would have learned about in Nebraska if not for the internet. And then I got involved in local music scene through um, in Omaha, here in Nebraska was a big part of that. And falling in love with bands and artists that were coming through Nebraska actually helped me fall in love with Nebraska. And it helped keep me a progressive in this red state to keep making change for the people who have to live here and can't move to LA or New York. So I think that music was something that helped me fall in love with this state. Um, and that's why I'm still here working. That's fascinating. I actually get a lot of questions when I moved to Lincoln uh, from Seattle. They're like, oh, why did you move to Lincoln, <laughs> Nebraska from Seattle? So I can relate to that question. <laughs> um, my next question will be for all of you. You kind of briefly touched uh, about your entrepreneur spirit and journey. But if you can maybe explain, um, maybe share a little bit about your story, how you studied your business and how you studied your career in fashion. Um, that will be also really interesting to, for audiences to hear. I started last time. Somebody else Okay, start. we'll pass the baton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, unless you wanted to go. Okay. Um, I'm an illustrator by trade. That's uh, what I went to school for. And um, my journey to fashion was maybe a little unconventional. Um, I started making uh, some clothes that were based on a zine that I had put out. Um, and what the characters in the zine were wearing. And um, 
I thought it was really amazing uh, to be in LA because American manufacturing is so alive and well there. And um, it was such a unique opportunity to try a different medium. And I approached clothing like limited edition art piece. And um, Hello Holiday was actually the first store to carry my clothes. We love Tuesday. <laughs> um, but, you know, after making, you know, an initial collection, um, it did better than I imagined. And, um, you know, I just make, kept making a few pieces piecemeal that were still inspired by my illustrations. And over time it snowballed, I think, especially because I have a unique perspective and have um, approached clothing making from, like, an inclusive standpoint from the beginning. And um, it turned into my full-time gig. And we have a shop on Sunset Boulevard in LA now, and uh, I have a lot of really wonderful employees who make it happen, and um, yeah, it was a, a little unconventional, but I love it. Can I go off of that? I relate to that a lot, because I feel like a lot of this sort of happened by accident, and it was sort of like, well, I really like making things. Oh, it turns out other people like what I made, and they want to buy one. Oh, it turns out that their friends saw what I sold to them, and now they want one too, and it was just kind of this snowball effect of like, oh, my little hobby that I'm doing in my spare time is actually something that I could potentially turn into a career. Um, and so I just kept kind of going through the doors of opportunities they opened, not really knowing where they would lead or if it was worth it, but just sort of saying yes to everything, especially in that initial stage when you're starting to grow your career, because um, that is the only way that you're gonna have opportunities. I also think it's important to acknowledge though that it's not just about talent, especially in fashion, especially in an, in an industry that can be so superficial and so materialistic. Um, a lot of it is about access too. It's not just about pure talent. It's not really a merit-based system exactly. Mm -hmm. So um, anybody who has that access, I think that it's incumbent on us to keep the door open and not close it behind us for people who don't have the same access or the same privilege to come in and, and um, have the same kinds of opportunities. Oh, are you a state senator? Did that sound really good? <laughs> yeah. Can I put She's that on a postcard? <laughs> I speak in sound bites now. It's like happened. <laughs> I mean, to echo on a theme of kind of going for it, I mean, I think it's funny, and I think you hear that repetitive theme of, I was in school, I have a design degree, but I didn't really want to design, and I didn't really know, and I think that like all of us sitting up here are people who you know, maybe just kind of continue to find our way, but with a lot of intention and I think a lot of hard work. Um, I went to New York pretty early on in school, kind of out of chance, interned, fell in love with the energy of the city, was super excited, and I worked my butt off to get back there every single time I could. Um, it was pre, this dates me now, it was pre-Instagram, I didn't have a Facebook, I didn't really know anyone there, I like called my parents, my parents' friends, friends of friends, found a friend of a friend of a friend who needed a part-time intern and <laughs> got on a plane and you know worked super hard to find the people who would give me access who would give me a chance that's how i ended up at j crew um, and through that worked with a lot of different people and then that's how i ended up at left Randall today and i think something that always sticks with me that i always think about is the having the attitude of gratitude for being a part of something and for having someone who has let you in and showing up and working really, really hard and enjoying what you do, I think has been a really common theme and really crucial to any movement that I've made. 
I'm glad I went last because now I know what I'm going to say. So thanks. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, I like this. We're all building off of each other. Okay, so that made me think about my, I'm reflecting on my career and how I have um, just basically been trying to figure out how to deal with my weaknesses. <laughs> like I've really gotten to know what I'm lacking and how can I turn that into a strength. So um, I kind of always knew I, I'm just kind of a brat and I've always kind of had a problem with authority so I knew I'd have to work for myself. So, okay, that's done. Um, and I, when I moved to LA and was trying to assist Silas and just get any job I could, I figured out like, well, this wasn't a weakness. This is the one strength I had. I was like the only stylist in LA that actually knew how to sew. So I was like, I'll do things. I'll so I was like always trying to figure out my edge. Like, what's my edge? What's my edge? And when I was in LA and realizing I really wanted to be designing, I kind of looked around and saw that a lot of, the, a lot of people had uh, trust funds. <laughs> and like, I, I don't know, and just were like connected in ways that I was not and like, my brother's famous and like, you know what I mean? But like, they were like connected, connected. Like, I don't know, I just, I just kind of saw it and I, I was such a small fish and I thought I'm never gonna, this is never gonna work for me. So part of the move to Nashville was, I'm just a little, and I like to be really honest about it, I just like to be a bigger fish in a smaller pond. I like to do it. I like to have my hand in the scene. I like to be a part of everything. Um, so I kind of learned that about myself. But then also, you know, trying to get a clothing line off the ground, I was like, well, how am I going to get in front of people? How, who, how are people going to? So now I'm in Nashville. I couldn't make waves in LA. I can't make waves in Nashville. And, and so that's why I decided to go on Project Runway. And I tried out three times before they took me, which is pretty common. I'm not, that, I'm not a huge loser. but. Um, it really does like, but you know, I was, so it's always been like, okay, so this is what I want to do. So like, how, how do I make it happen? How do I get in front of people? How do, how do people know to buy my clothes? So I'm just always trying to, I'm just always hustling a little bit. I've, I've realized there's always some sort of hustle going on. Yeah. I think we are all hustling in our own way and there's no. That's the new economy. Man. <laughs> right. I mean. You always think you're going to have a straight line when you're in college or maybe before. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to start majoring in certain topic and I'm going right. to be a designer or I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to be so successful in my first career or in my first business, which was not the case for me either. <laughs> right. So it's like there are a lot of kind of learning process and learning from mistakes, learning about myself and learning about selves. So th that was my next question, actually. How, what was your, you know, in this, in your road, in your path, what was your biggest surprise that really changed your direction in your career and your business? I can take this one. Um, at my current job, our marketing director resigned, and I just started getting put on the marketing emails and the meetings. For, and for a couple of days, I thought to myself, Oh, interesting. This might be part of my job now. Um, and, you know, had a conversation with our leadership team and they said, you know, we think you're really good at this innately. I had been working and buying for the company and I had been styling at J. Crew, but I had never connected the dots of realizing, oh, what I really love to do and what lights 
the buying work that I do on fire is realizing how we will talk about the product later and realizing the full intention of, instead of going through a line and picking like, these are the 10 shoes you're gonna make the most money on, I realized through this change, which I could have never premeditated, actually it's the 10 shoes that like we're the most excited about that I wanna tell you like, a tall boot is a super cool trend, like a Birkenstock feels fun right now, like combat boots are amazing, you can wear them everywhere. It, it's something that- Thanks. She is a fashion plate. Everyone up here is. <laughs> Everyone out here is too. Uh, and it was a really interesting kind of change and curveball for my career. And I mean, it totally opened up the way that I thought about the other half of my job. And it totally opened up the way our business performed and was really explosive for the company. And, you know, I talked to other people who are in the same field and it's kind of the new age. I mean, the buyer who was a data cruncher still exists, but that's being automated so much that now the person that understands the connectivity and the communication and what makes people really excited is really the future. So that was something I could have, like I would have never told you I was doing, but now we're here. Um, I think I was really surprised that, um, like when I started my clothing line, I called it Valentine Valentine because I was like, it's kind of my name, but it's not really my, you know, I was kind of <laughs> trying to like hide behind it a little bit. And um, and even the first season of Project Runway I was on, don't watch season 11. I'm really awkward on it. Just don't watch it. Watch 13. Um, but I really like, I kind of like fought kicking and screaming being in the public sphere and, and now I like speak to you know, like marketing convention, like it kind of blows my mind and I kind of fought being like the face of my brand or telling that story myself for a long time and then I realized that um, that's just the most authentic thing to do and the reality is I'm just designing for myself. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like, so it's really easy and so I should be the one explaining it and the one wearing it and the one, um, but I kind of fought that for a few years, like being in front of it, but. And now y'all can't pull me off a stage. No. <laughs> I feel like I never met a camera I didn't like. like same thing. What surprised me the most is how long all this takes. Kind of like what you were saying, Serene. I thought that my life was going to go like this. Like just, you start at the bottom, and every year just gets better. I know, we're all just laughing. And the graph needed to laugh loudly. <laughs> the well, when I started Hello Holiday with my partner, we wanted it to be like a startup. We were like... We're starting a fashion startup, everybody. This is gonna change tech forever. We're disrupting the system. Like, what the fuck ever? Like, what are we talking about? So, um, what we initially wanted to do was like create this app that you could have on your phone or your desktop, and then you're interacting with designers as they're making their clothing. Then you're giving them feedback and saying, I would buy this if it looked a little different. And that ended up being like, A, not how people shop and B, not how designers want to work and like disrupting their creative process like that. And C, we were definitely in a little bubble at the time of tech startups. And so it was kind of like really not the time. And instead what we did is we started this store where we support small designers, we carry small runs of things, we have a focus on extended sizes, and we kind of went back to this very analog thing like pretty much exactly the opposite of what we set out to do in 2012. Um, in 2014, we opened this store that was really back to basics to the degree of like almost 
the folk art tradition. Do you know what I'm talking about? Of like making something with your hands and being close to the person who made it and knowing the story behind it. And that's actually how we had the most success is doing this completely opposite thing than what I want, that what I thought customers wanted. That is changing again. I mean, that was in 2014, now it's almost 2020, and trends just keep changing and businesses have to change and adapt to that too. So Hello Holiday is again going through kind of another um, reimagination of what the mission is, which is, um, you know, advancing the voices of underrepresented groups through fashion. And um, we're gonna have to keep innovating and finding new ways to do that because the world just keeps changing. And um, so the surprise to me has been like that there wasn't, it's not like a video game where like you beat this level and you go to the next level and then you get all these power ups and you make all this money and then you go to the next level after you beat it. It's just up and down. And um, I think we all know that intellectually, like, but, it is very easy to forget that. I think what's interesting hearing everybody talk is that um, it's clearly about a human element. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're at. And that is what's special about everybody here and what they're doing and what's special about Hello Holiday. Um, and that's what kind of changed everything for me is um, I was never really interested in having a fashion line, but you know, being able to interact with finding the right factory for me that treated people well and was non-exploitative and um, being able to have that human interaction with my factory um, and you know just like having those relationships and building with you know it takes a totally takes a village to do all of it and um, yeah the human element is really special to me and I think if I was just producing um, overseas it wouldn't be special to me and I don't know that I would do it because I love having that um, relationship with the people who are making things for my brand with the people who are buying things from my brand and I think yeah I think the human element is really the most special part about it. Well, talking about trend a little bit now and human element. Um, I think one of the big the fashion is one of the industry that really a lot of women really look up for, right? And then you being inspirations to a lot of younger and other people who want to be in the fashion industry, you're smiling a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I'm embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> Be inspiration, right? Um, being face of it. Um, it's just Midwest embarrassment. Y'all know. Y'all have it. <laughs> and and it's it is a really great thing, right? Like you're all being successful women and women wanting to go to fashion more more women wanting to go to fashion industry. But there is also a big pay gap in the industry and. And this is a, a little bit of a sad fact that we are having this disparity while the, the industry is really dominant by women. So I'm curious to hear like, what is your perspective on that and how we can kind of uh, close this gap kind of together in the industry? I feel like an interesting thing um, in my perspective is that um, I don't work with anybody else, you know, like I am the boss and I kind of feel like my attitude is always don't ask to join the table, bring your own table. And um, I feel like when we ask for permission to be paid more, um, you're really uh, putting the power in somebody else's hands. But when you take it and you say, this is what I'm doing and this is how much I'm getting paid and this is the uh, blueprint that I'm laying down for other people to also be getting paid more, um, I think that's really powerful. And I think instead of asking permission, you just have to take it. The question of pay gap in general, that's one sphere of a problem. 
And then there's the pay gap in fashion and the fact that still the highest paid people in fashion are men. Um, it wasn't until kind of recently that models regularly started getting paid and that doesn't even happen all the time anymore. There's obviously huge um, uh, fair wage, labor issues, human rights issues in fashion, in manufacturing. Um, and then there's this other sphere of problem which is entrepreneurship. And when you're the boss, when you're the one in charge of your paycheck, but it doesn't always mean you're getting paid, how are you paying your staff? Like, that's another problem too. So um, all of these things, you know, deserve an answer, but I don't really know the answer to all of them. I, I, I also agree that you have to define your worth and kind of stick by that, but when you don't have the power, that can be really hard when like your paycheck isn't really up to you. Um, that's just a problem that, that continues to, I mean, I feel like it, this is almost a discussion question because like, I, I honestly don't know the answer to that. It's so complicated. It's a web that I cannot untangle. Um, but I think that the more people who do value themselves and what they're worth and stick by that and don't um, negotiate that as a maker, that's very important. And then also, as a consumer, what all of us can do if we're maybe not entrepreneurs, if, if we're not makers, we can support the people who are making something of their own, the people who are entrepreneurs in fashion. And today with Instagram, with Depop, with Etsy, all of these little brands that are popping up, I'm wearing, you know what I'm wearing, this is um, Big Bud Press, which is in LA, and they manufacture in LA too. It's just this small run of like jumpsuits and pants and shirts and stuff that they do. Tuesday has a great line of stuff made in LA. Like these are the businesses that you should be supporting, not necessarily the big box stores that we know are the cause of so many of these wage and labor problems that are in our world. So. This is a huge umbrella question of a problem, but what you can do and the actions you can take are pretty practical, actually. Yeah, I think I just kind of stayed out of it, too. I was like, well, then I'm going to be the boss, and I'm going to say what... <laughs> and, and what I like about production, um, which is like music videos, commercials, all, all the stuff I do styling, day rates are day rates. <laughs> and, um, and I'm also in charge of my day rate. Like, I do all of that negotiation. And, um, and now I was kind of thinking about it and the, the roles typically held by women in production pay so much more than the roles typically held by men. I just realized that. So like hair and makeup and wardrobe can sometimes make double what, you know, like a grip and electric makes. I just realized that anyway. That's just a nice little shiny spot. The rest of the world is not like that, I know. But um, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I couldn't solve it, so I just got out of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think as we've touched on, fashion is in a systemic race to the bottom, um, but <laughs> it is. Um, but I, I do think that there's a bright spot. I think people are conscious of it. I mean, I personally am very fortunate to work for a company that is 94% female, and almost all the top leadership positions are held by women. And it's a company that I was in Chicago yesterday at um, an event with customers, and you know, we were being asked questions, including what do you do with excess inventory? How are your products made? How are the people treated who make your products? And I think that conversation is really powerful and not always one that's happening. And as a consumer who votes with my dollar and spends on places that matter to me and you know who works for a brand that is actively attempting to make 
a better impact and to talk with consumers about it. It's super encouraging and I encourage everyone to continue to talk about it and break a dialogue because if you're buying something for $9.99, like, there could be an issue with what's going on. And I think you know, there are lots of creative ways and fashion is expanding and to the resale markets and people looking at things that are secondhand and that's really exciting and looking at how brands can jump in on that conversation I think is really powerful. Like there's a ways to go but we're starting to turn the tide which is exciting. Well, this is a difficult question. I didn't mean to you know, push you to give an answer, but I thought it would be a really good discussion to start. And as you're in the fashion industry and leading a lot of efforts um, as part of the big trend. Well, the, another topic that you kind of briefly touched on, and also many young people are really interested in is sustainability in fashion, right? So how do we include more people? What is ethical practices? Um, how do we sustain our industry more? Uh, I, one of my students actually told me the fashion is the second uh, industry that, that creates the biggest waste after oil and gas. That was really shocking news to me. And, and I think a lot of, you know, Tuesday you also do a lot of work to try to use the, the materials that are maybe not the new materials that produce the profession, but I, I think it's a big interest in what is ethical practice of product development, how do we build our sustainability uh, in our practice and in our product development? So I'm curious to hear you know, your, your thoughts around it and efforts around it. And, and what do you think also we as a community to kind of to do? I think that fashion is inherently wasteful. <clears throat> um, even you know, when you take steps to uh, make decisions that are uh, ethical and sustainable, no matter what, there's some some level of waste that happens in fashion. And, um, you know, the steps that we take as a brand are we buy um, dead stock and vintage fabrics primarily, and then our secondary choice is California-made fabrics. And um, by doing that, we're just uh, eliminating a lot of waste, a lot of water waste. Um, yeah, uh, the like dyes are really harmful to the environment too. So like when you're dyeing, uh, garments, making decisions to uh, dye with like less harmful uh, materials, and um, I think just m consciously making decisions and challenging yourself to do better with every release is something that we try for, and I would love to see everybody try for because it is hard. Um, you know, like there are paths that have been forged that are so much easier to do. Like it's already hard to put out a fashion line, but. Um, I think uh, challenging yourself to do better every um, collection is really powerful. And um, yeah, I think also uh, paying attention to like how your clothes are made, who's making them, do you know who made them? Like, you know, as a fashion brand, I think it's really easy, especially with like the advent of like Alibaba, where like you don't know who's making your clothes and how people are being treated. And um, I think it's really powerful to just decide that you, you will know how people are making your clothes. And it's not that producing overseas is inherently um, exploitative, it's not at all. Um, but I love being able to see in person how things are being made and to check in and have that um, connection. So, yeah. I think sustainability is a huge topic. And I think one that's tricky for consumers and for myself personally in a lot of ways, because it's massive. Like, 
on a sliding scale, you know, what is better? All these companies are talking to us and telling us, it's almost like going into the supermarket and being like, it's healthy, it's, you know, it's labeled like it's good for you. Yeah. Oh my gosh, great, it's good for me. It has only natural sugars, cool. Um, and I, I feel, oh, oh no, no, I'm gone. Hello, I'm back. I mean, I feel a huge responsibility on my end as a consumer and also as a marketer to break that down and to find out what actually matters? What is really going to change that we can do? How do we communicate in that, that in a way that's actually meaningful rather than just saying, we're a company that's doing great things. No, I wanna be able to tell you and I wanna be able to know from people that I'm working with that you're only making something from a factory that you've gone to, that you've seen, that you know. Um, I think it's a really, it's such an interesting conversation that is going to grow more and more and I think helping people define that is really powerful and something that I'm super curious about personally. Well, I'm so teeny tiny. I'm the one making it. I'm the one, you know. <laughs> so whatever, I'll skip that part. But something I do try and do with my clients um, my, uh, is kind of introduce them to, I've introduced one, they're a country band, but they wanna look cool. And I have, I have taught them the ways of vintage and they're like, minds are blown so every time we have a fitting they're like what cool weird thing did you find so i try and at least like use my friends labels or you know i still have to like go to nordstrom and you know often but um yeah i've really just tried to just be really aware of where i'm spending other people's money <laughs> where i'm spending sony music's money and and honestly i want to give it to my friends so i yeah so i've just been trying to focus on going to their shops more and more i'm i am a i'm in a different perspective on this panel as someone who owns a store so i'm the one buying things from all of you and and being the middle person between the designer and the consumer sometimes and what we try to do for sustainability is to decrease um, the number of stops between the designer and the consumer as much as possible because you know every time something moves to you that uses energy that uses water that uses resources um, so step one of the thing is making sure that the stuff that we're buying is as sustainably produced as possible as ethically produced as possible and from a from a business owner perspective also a price point that I know that our consumers will accept and that's really difficult um, in the store some things we do um, besides just your typical like eco-friendly physical space practices is we have reusable totes that we ask our customers to use and we give them a discount if they bring them back in so kind of you know continuing the cycle of, of bringing our customers back into the store but this is such a trend right now too today at the capitol we had the climate strike protest march that all these kids came over from unl and we were all there and um i have never seen a movement have such have such complete um, support from a generation. Uh, my generation cared a lot about this. I'm a millennial. I'm 33, and we cared all about this so much when we were kids in school. And now my child, who's nine, is here today, and she cares about it so much because the older generation for me didn't do anything to help them. And so, 
I also find as a business owner, sometimes I get feedback from my peers in the business community, especially in the Midwest, saying, well, we'd like to do all these pie-in-the-sky things, we'd like to save the planet, but it's just not feasible because it costs so much money. Um, and I just really push back against that and question that and say, maybe you're not thinking creatively enough. And you know what? We're getting to a place in business where the consumer is going to punish you for that. If you're not thinking ethically, if you're not thinking about the sustainability of the work that you're doing, that is what consumers want right now. And it's not just trendy. It's the right thing to do. So trying to be a leader and model that for other businesses, um, it's difficult. We slip up. We're not 100% perfect. But I can say that we're genuinely trying. And um, I wish more of my peers in the business community could say the same. I agree that it's an inherently um, wasteful thing, fashion, like Tuesday said. Um, but these incremental things we can do, just have to do them. I totally agree that it's really the young generation pushing for these efforts. I, I myself as a millennial, I also hear a lot from Generation Z that who's really caring about kind of environmental impact and sustainability. I think another thing that I hear a lot uh, in is also the inclusion, right? It's also pushed uh, from younger generation, also outside factor. How does your fashion or any product really serve the population that are traditionally underserved or excluded from the mainstream. So I'm curious how you are kind of switching perspectives a little bit, how you all read those trends and how do you kind of get inspiration and read those trends and kind of respond? What is your way of kind of reading those trends and responding to it personally? I'm kind of curious to hear. I think it's through, it's through fashion that I learned so much about inclusion, which informs so much stuff that I do politically now. And it was fashion that brought me into activism, that brought me into what I'm doing now. And I came in to fashion from a woman's rights perspective. Like, we want to elevate women. It's all about femme energy. We love women. But it was through fashion that I understood, so, that I learned so much about gender non-binary people, about the LGBTQ plus community, about how the expression of what you put on your body and what that says to the world is something that so few people have control of and how messed up that is and how fashion has been used um, by, by people and institutions in power to tell people who they are and what they should look like and what they can be. Um, in the small town in Nebraska where I grew up, we had one store, we had a, what was it, Pomida. We had a Pomida, and like the, the types of clothes that you could get at Pomida, if I bought those and I went to LA, they would all know I was from some hick town in Nebraska, because that's what I looked like. And that's what I mean by the power to control the message that you put out into the world and your own self-expression, and that you have confidence in how you look. And that's not something that's necessarily driven by women. It's driven by people of color, by gender non-binary people, by everybody in the world who previously wasn't completely represented in the fashion industry. And what's democratized that and made that so accessible is the internet. It's Instagram. It's being able to be in control of the image that you're putting out. And I just watch and learn. I don't feel the need to control that. I don't feel the need to predict it or be on the forefront of trends as a business owner. I just want to let the culture do what it does and appreciate it and be so glad that people have this now because when I was growing up, that wasn't normal and it should be. Right, and to expand on what Megan was saying, it's so interesting to, it's not interesting, it's really sad how long people have been denied things in their size, right? Um, ways to express themselves, right? And um, unless you're like a very narrow window, which is essentially like, are you 
extra small, small, or small, you know? And um, it's so beautiful to see um, more brands, big or small, adopting uh, size inclusivity. And um, it breaks my heart when I hear like other small brands be like, oh, we can't do that because it's just too expensive. Well, I mean, it can be in your business plan. They have money. <laughs> they have money. Yeah. Um, you can find ways to make it work. I don't really take that as, um, it's not an option, you know? Um, I think if it's important to you, you make it work. Um, but I think it's beautiful that there are so many options and who's totally pushing the needle but independent designers, you know, and um, all of these larger brands are acting accordingly and obviously, um, obviously people um, who are activists as well are pushing the needle. Um, the internet's amazing because you can um, publicly express your opinion to large brands and they have no choice but to listen to you and um, I'm glad it's a trend, and I don't think it's going to stop. I don't think it's going to go away. It's cool. Yeah, the inclusivity that comes from the internet is so exciting. I mean, I remember growing up feeling very detached from what was going on in fashion and the conversation, being in Lincoln, you know, buying a magazine or looking at a website. I think I can probably tell you every single collection from 2008 because I was on style.com, which does not <laughs> exist anymore, every day looking at every look. And that felt nowhere in the stratosphere of where I lived. And now I can hop on Instagram and look at someone in any town in the world who has amazing style or an incredible idea who's put that out there. And I think that that's gone miles to change the conversation in how people want to dress and how people expect brands to show up from what they're carrying and also what they're showing, how they're showing their products. It's not a one-size-fits-all conversation anymore where your branding can only look a certain way. It's Outdoor Voices showing a photo of someone in shorts with cellulite that's not retouched and having customers be vocally excited about that and feeling that ricochet around the industry. And I think we have miles to go still, but seeing that breakthrough and seeing those genuine conversations happen and having the access to it is incredibly exciting to me, that the expectation is your brand should not just look exactly like you it looks like everyone and I mean I love the the crazy Gucci effect of you know dressing in like crazy clothes that like don't make sense anymore it's not the world we grew up in where I was like okay the Delia's catalog I have to look exactly oh like this <laughs> these jeans this shirt like that's all I want now there's this whole you know world out there that you have access to to be able to decide a little bit of this a little bit of that I'm going to put something together that's actually me. And I think that that, to me, is the most exciting and empowering thing about fashion and how I found it. And it's so exciting to me that there's access there for other people to find it and not feel so alone. Because I felt super alone growing up, caring about this thing that felt so foreign to you know anyone else I was around. And yeah, I think I always thought, like, yeah, I'm an individual. I get it. I'm liberal. I get it. And honestly, I had to be kind of like, taught a lesson by my customers. And they were like, hey, can we get this in this size? And I, and I, I felt it was so embarrassing that I hadn't, and I, I, I just, <laughs> I can't tell you how shameful that felt to think like, no, I really hadn't thought about that. Right. Like I really hadn't. And, well, like, and, and accepting that and like recognizing that was just like, 
oh God, I got some work to do. And I still have a really long way to go. And it's true, it's like, it is expensive. Like it, it, it's, it's hard, you know, I'm doing all the pattern, like it's, it's hard and it's, and I'm, I'm catching up and I'm, and I can say as, as a brand, I'm behind. I'm embarrassingly behind like size inclusion. And it's something I'm trying to get on top of. I think it's really interesting when you like have been indoctrinated into an industry and you know, you're like, well, I hadn't even thought about this because this conversation had not been had. Right. Um, and it's, it's a selfish thing too. It's like, also I'm five nine and I, you know, it's totally selfish. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's shitty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So that was just a really like dark thing to realize about yourself. Like, go, oof, I gotta. But important that you paid attention to that. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's, it's important to admit, like, that's the truth of the situation, yeah. Right. I think it's important to, like, really realize that, like, before I grew up in Seoul, in South Korea, and there's only free size, so you have no idea what that means, right? Like, it's a free <laughs> size. When I came here, I, when I learned that I'm an extra small, I was, like, really shocked, because I was, <laughs> I always thought I'm really fat. <laughs> yeah, you will not believe it, but that's because you don't fit into free size. I know. So I think it's all we grew up in certain culture and we certain environment, and that's a. And also, in when you develop your own product, I think you see yourself in there. So it is so easy to imagine that okay, because that fits me, that it's kind of average that will work for all. But I think it's really important that you all kind of know this trend and kind of working towards. Well, I have last. Uh, Sir, you were gonna say. I was gonna say, I think making something for yourself is step one, and it's probably where all of us kind of began. Absolutely. When we started Hello Holiday, we were just selling clothes that we wanted to wear, my partner and I, and that was like a very Zoe de Chanel, like polka dots and flared right. skirts, like cutesy cutesy, and our customers just told us over time that like that's not what they want, and we still carry a little bit of that, and our tastes have certainly changed too, but. That's where you start at square one, but unless you move to square two and get outside of yourself, like you don't grow, and that's in anything. But so easy to fall into that trap in fashion. Well, I have, before I ask the last question, I'm gonna warn you that I'm gonna ask, what is your next step? But before I ask the question, I like to open up the questions to audiences, to all of you that, who shared really interesting story. I'm sure you have questions to our uh, panelists. So please uh, raise your hand if you have any questions. I'll direct my mic to uh, the audience. Okay, here we go, there's another mic, great. Sorry, you talked about sustainability. Just curious if blockchain technologies hit the textile supply chain at all and what uh, maybe disruptions available there. What, what did you say? I'm sorry, I couldn't understand. Blockchain that. technology on the textile supply chain, has that What is blockchain technology? Okay, uh, it's like, uh, like, the, like what cryptocurrencies are based on. Oh. So you know exactly where it came from. It's all on the ledger, it's open market. There's a lot. Of, yeah, there's so I, 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 come, kind of I, I come from the metals supply chain. It kind of inherently kind of exists. Right? That. No, that, I mean, that's a cool question. I feel like there are a couple brands who are doing that and are kind of pushing the conversation forward. Patagonia is one of them. And I think of them as being kind of like the cutting edge of both total transparency and um, sustainability. I mean, they let you, they tell you what factory they use and like where they got all of their fabrics and um, everything like that. I feel like there's a few other brands like, um, girlfriend who does like yoga wear 
they do that too. Um, they're made entirely out of water bottles, or almost entirely out of water bottles, and they list their factory, and um, you can see what kind of conditions people are in, like working in, and um, I think it's just starting. It's really interesting to see. Reformation does that, yeah. But it's also like brands like Patagonia that actually have the money to innovate in that kind of area. Absolutely. Like I'm sure all of us up here would hypothetically love to get into blockchain and, and lead on that, but yeah. it's so expensive and how do you even do it? And no one understands it. I'm sorry, dude. Like it's just such a new it's such a new technology that it's it's ripe for innovation and I hope that organizations like Patagonia invest in exploring that because I'm super curious about it too. you brought up the um, problem of feeling lonely and especially as female entrepreneurs I know that mental health aspect of starting something from the ground up and building it and kind of exhausting yourself to the point where you <laughs> do feel like giving up I mean I think that mental health aspect of it is really important especially you know as I'm a senior in college and I have these aspirations as well and it's kind of hard when you feel like you're the you care about something that no one else cares about so what is that like, especially when you all had this vision for yourself, you all had this business idea, just trying to give yourself this pep talk and keep going? Get yourself a great psychiatrist. <laughs> um, I no. go to dance class at least once a week for my sanity. <laughs> I run, honestly. I run and I meditate. But, but also, I've kind of accepted, like I have so much more grace on myself about the ups and downs I do. I can't remember who I was talking to. And I was just kind of explaining. I just know I'm always going to get depressed when I'm done with a collection. And I know that I'm going to always get really manic when I'm working on the next one. And I, you know, like I kind of, and I know that I'm always going to hate it when it's done. You know, and I just kind of am like, I, instead of like, I think you, I think you really have to not feel your feelings sometimes and just observe them and go, okay, there's that guy again. Like, and so I've just really accepted like the cycle of, like it doesn't mean I'm crazy, it doesn't mean I'm a bad artist, it doesn't, you know, um, it just, it's just kind of the nature of us creatives. So just accept it, observe it, and don't sink in it. You probably saw Megan and I looking at each other because I was like, oh. I'm familiar with. Yeah. <laughs> We're just like depressed hey. women. Um, <laughs> no, I have your, really I have your a turn, sad I'm girl sorry. print by go my get bathroom. A, go oh, get yeah. a nursing what does it degree. Say? Oh yeah, too blessed to be or too stressed to be blessed. Too stressed to be blessed. Yeah. I got that by my. She drew that. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it's it's only funny to us because we can relate. Um, but I've been uh, I've been going to therapy for the past four and a half years, and um, I feel like it's the most important thing I can spend my money on, uh, especially as a, um, a business leader and um, somebody who is responsible for other people. I think it is um, really important to kind of like constantly reinvestigate myself and my intentions and where I'm at, especially because I, I want to be the best boss I can possibly be for other people, and I also want to be the best to me I can possibly be. And um, honestly, it's very, it's hard and it's isolating. And um, I think being an entrepreneur um, can be really tough because you're constantly, you know, you've made the decision to do your own thing, right? Which is inherently isolating. But I think aligning yourself with other business owners and, um, you know, other creatives that are doing um, 
hard, interesting, important things is totally valuable. And I think seeking out community and also um, doing things like uh, seeing your feelings and understand why you're having them, and then you also don't have to engage. Wait, I thought of one more thing. So that reminded me, like, the, the thing that I didn't know I was going to get at a Project Runway was, like, a thousand best friends that all do the same thing that I do. And it's so cool to be able to text or email or, I mean, FaceTime somebody at any time that has had this problem. And I just think, I kind of think it's good to be around people that do what you do and get together and just, like, bitch about it. <laughs> Honestly, and and be like, well, what? How did you handle this? And how do you, that that release? I think is crucial. Yeah, I think no matter what path you choose, realizing the opportunity for mentorship and collaboration. And I think as women who like are all sitting up here laughing about this, and who are all very inherently collaborative, it it's such an opportunity. And I think it's really important in every step of the way. You said you're asking us what's next. It's like, I wish someone would tell me, but being in a room with friends who all also don't know what's next, it's, it's nice and really helpful. And I think really important as you're considering growing a career, no matter what you are doing, is finding those people that have your back or someone who you can call and ask a random question. I mean, you need to have people on your team and kind of that are on the bench there cheering for you. It's, really important. I just run depressed. Like, that's my <laughs> baseline mood. I'm a glass half empty type of person, and it's gotten me far. But I, oh my God. over the 15 years that I've done this work in the fashion world, in the activist world, all the things that I care about, it's it hasn't gotten easier, but I've met more people that make it easier. I think a lot of the thing that helps is just time and I depend a lot on my friends. I depend a lot on my peers in my industry, people who know what it's like. Tuesday and I have talked about this lots of times. I look forward to making good friends with the rest of these women so we can talk about it no, more we too. Don't talk. And that's but real talk, like that's how it works. Is like you just keep meeting people and you find your people wherever they are all over the world. And that just takes time. Like you cannot do that overnight. But um, I don't know, life is really hard and you never know what's going to happen, so whew, Yeah, but thoughts. it's also really fun, and you get to do what you like to do, and I'm it's so, just I want to end, end up. End no, up, I'm just kidding. Up. One thing it's I can add to that, weird. too, though, is that I feel like one thing that I wish that I um, would have thought about earlier or would have um, put into practice earlier is, like, don't bother being competitive with other creators or women or designers or whatever because it's just like oh, who has the fucking time and it's going to drain you and it's going to add to you know your depressive feelings and instead just you know like building community is so much more powerful and that's like such a great antidote and um, that's something that I really wish that I would have implemented sooner so I feel like um, creating your own community and um, lifting other people up um, you know rising tide raises all ships mm -hmm. yes we had a we had a phrase when someone would start to spin out of control on Project Runway, and it was, don't, don't look around the workroom. Don't look around the workroom. And so we'd see somebody start to do it and go, oh my God, what are they doing? Don't, don't look around the workroom. Keep your head down. I, I agree with what you said, and just, oh, I forgot my thought. Never mind. <laughs> you really went off on that one. Good question. What was it? It was a good thought.
shot, but <laughs> you can come back when you <laughs> when it comes back. Dog brain. Oh yeah, it was about competitiveness. Okay, it was about that success is not a pie, and like. I used to really have this idea that I think I was ingrained in me as I grew up, which was like only one woman can make it to the top. Like only one, everyone is a token if you're not a white Christian man who's hetero in this world. And everybody else like is fighting for like this one diversity hire or opportunity. And that's just not really the case anymore, but I still, a lot of people still kind of operate that way subconsciously. Mm -hmm. And um, not being competitive with other people and really not comparing myself to other people because um, I saw some quote that's like, there's all different kinds of flowers and they're all beautiful and they're all different. You might have your favorite, but they're all beautiful. And, it, and just seeing yourself for the worth that you have and that it's not gonna be exactly like somebody else. But I compared myself to people for a long time and it made me feel horrible. And I wish that I had stopped doing that at a younger age. I think I'd be much, um, more emotionally advanced now, and it would have served me well in my career too. Mm -hmm. Also, it's never too early to save your money and like prepare for those ups and downs that your business is gonna give you because like all of us said, it doesn't just go like this. Right. It doesn't just go up and to the right, it goes up and down. And so put some money away, don't get cocky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Any last question? Hi, my name is Melissa, and I'm a graduate student in the TMFD department at UNL, the fashion department. And I am going to be helping to develop professional development seminars for our department and then also kind of the college. And a lot of people, I've noticed, have a difficulty making kind of these connections with these companies that are either like New York or LA. And um, even a lot of online applications say like local applicants only. Um, so how do you recommend kind of making these connections without just like flooding people's emails or LinkedIn? Like how do you make it seem more um, natural and like you actually are interested? I think it's helpful and I have a lot of friends who as their job searching now, you know, if you're looking at a company that you feel really connected to, helping trying to reach out to them and, and share why. And I know that may sound like, duh, I'm just gonna like write them a cover letter and yes. Um, and then there are those crazy stories of someone who like sends a giant box with something amazing in it or a flower arrangement and that like, seems insane. Um, but I think being able to really articulate to a company why you genuinely care about them. I'm in a lot of interviews with people who, I mean, I can't ask you why you connect with the brand because I don't think you actually know what's going on. with with the brand and so I think it's really important. I know it's like you need to cast a wide net but it's like really getting and finding out what's important about a company and finding a way to interact with them and to have a real dialogue with someone whether it's like sending someone a really meaningful note on their LinkedIn because you see that they you know maybe work in the sustainability department of a brand that you think is really interesting. Um, a company can be massive and feel very impenetrable um, but I think that there's a lot of access and a lot of people I'm a grad reach out to me I'm in New York I can help you um, you know I think there are a lot of people who owe their success and where they are to people helping out and you know always want to pay it forward so we think trying to make those meaningful connections and find people and take the time rather than just reaching out saying hey can you help me it's like 
can you help me? Because I got this email from your brand last week and I thought it was so interesting. The way you told us X, Y, and Z does a thousand times more. Um, and I think it can really make an impact when you're trying to come from somewhere else and totally ignore the local listing sometimes. It's like, apply anyway. Do it anyway is always really good <laughs> advice. Do it anyway. And in order to make yourself stand out, you have to do your research. You have to create your own content and show the world why you matter. You can't wait for you know, your dream brand to come up and scoop you up and go, you're exactly what we've been looking for. Like, you have to operate and move in the world as if no one's ever gonna notice you. So you have to create content all the time. You have to do tons of research on the brands that you care about or whatever company you wanna work for, what you wanna do. Um, so that when you have the opportunity to make those genuine connections, that was a really good idea about using alumni, like that kind of thing, um, that you actually know what you're talking about. Because I get messages every day that are like, can I take you for coffee and pick your brain? Or how do I do what you do? And it's like, I don't know, you suffer for 15 years and mess up a million times and lose all your money and then have a windfall and then lose all that money. You know, it's just up and down and you can't give somebody a blueprint to follow ever. But what you can do is all your research that you can, create your content, make your own little, um, you know, your Instagram in this world, it's all different, but in this world, your Instagram is your resume all the time. You need to be putting out your personality, your beliefs, what you're creating in the world, what you're contributing, and get involved with other people in this fashion industry too. Like folks who are involved in marketing, folks who are influencers, folks who are working on developing those brands. And then you create these little communities on social media that you can leverage to get what you want later on. And every brand is different, but that's my advice in general, is don't ask someone to pick their brain, don't ask, don't send a cold email that's the same email to everybody. Even in Nebraska, like that wouldn't be enough. Mm -hmm. So you have, to, you have to know what you're talking about. I would just like to echo what these very smart women have said, but I also think it's helpful to remember like, you know, it's not just because you're in Nebraska, you know, you could be in LA and you could be in New York and there's millions of people in the world, billions of people in the world. And um, I think remembering that is helpful. And I totally agree that like, reaching out with something specific you think is genuinely interesting or trying to forge a genuine connection instead of being like, how can I take up your time? Instead be like, I know that your time is precious. Um, here's something I found that's interesting. I would love if, you know, like we could talk. Talk about this specific thing. Yeah, talk about thing. this specific thing. I didn't mean to say that people can't pick my brain, by the way. I no. meant to say that it, I don't like it when people ask me a question that you can find on google.com. Mm -hmm. like, do your research and then ask me. Yeah. Or anybody. Yeah. I get a lot of emails about, you know, internships or, and I think it's, it's, it usually is a lot of, I want to learn from you and I want to know what you're, and that's cool, but, um, and I hope this doesn't sound like it's going to sound, so whatever. Um, <laughs> but like, what can you do for me? <laughs> like, what are you gonna give me? Like, what are you really good at that you're gonna bring to my business? And I think that, like, that would really stand out um, for sure. And then once your foot's in the door, I have a couple pointers. <laughs> um, I think when you're actually meeting with someone, when you're taking their time, really 
working on your communication skills, having the research and having a super meaningful conversation, like it's hard enough for all of us to even like, they're all people that we wanna talk to that we they can't get access to. And so when you get that foot in the door, like have a meaningful conversation. It's super important to have great communication skills and to really be able to talk and engage and to talk about what you've done and who you are. And then it's super important to thank someone for their time. And sending a thank you note, whether it be old school handwritten and email, is also incredible for keeping that bond, keeping that connection, put something meaningful into that message to them. I think it's something that really often goes overlooked and you know, it's a difference. To be quite honest, if I don't hear from you again, I assume you're not interested in my time ever again. So it, it seems little, but it's a tip that I try to remember. Well, this is a really great discussion. I'm sure there are a lot more questions, but I think we have to wrap up very soon. So I know when I was raising a fund for my startup, the, the, the first question that I hated the most was what makes you up at night? I was like, everything, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and the second question that I hated most was, was uh, what's your next? I was like, okay, I just finished my first step and you're asking already about my next step, but I'm gonna ask that question, the second one, not the first one. So what is your next step and how do you see yourself uh, kind of uh, moving forward? Um, well, I took a little break from designing um, just because all my clients luckily got had really successful albums, <laughs> which is great. Um, but now I'm going to come back and I'm going to do um, uh, a little, little. I'm going to try my hand at bridal, but it's going to be my kind of bridal. So it'll be super casual, um, super unconventional. For I got divorced and I'm like, so what would I wear to the second one? <laughs> and I mean, I mean, really, like I'm like, what is like a 40-year-old second bride? You know, I'm like, this is a real issue. So I kind of want to. That's a market. That's yeah. a, that's a, yeah. I'm, again, just. you are in the market, me, yeah. for one. Just, just designing for myself again. Yeah. That's awesome. I am just waiting to find out what that next step is. Um, no, I mean, I go to work every day and I'm really lucky to work with really creative, curious people. And so, I mean, I think for me, continued growth is, you know, working for a brand that's communicating as a brand first um, to support their wholesale business rather than letting wholesale communicate for them. Um, professionally, that's what I'm working towards. And personally, I think it's just continuing to learn and grow and being excited and making it to dance class and <laughs> going to some Lincoln Calling shows tonight. <laughs> Next up, um, we're, uh, no pressure, no pressure. Uh, right now my brand does extra extra small through 5XL, but starting next week on Wednesday, we're expanding to 6X. Um, woo, that's what's next for me. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, and, um, you know, to echo what Tracy said, I feel like what's next for me, especially as I've laid this groundwork is, becoming better at what I do and improving upon my skill sets. And, um, you know, I've gotten this far, but I feel like I can always get better. And what I'd really like to do is just continue to hone my skill set until it's um, exactly where I want it to be. And um, I'm thankful for the DIY attitude that has gotten me <laughs> this far, but um, 
I look forward to becoming more educated and spending my time doing that. That's smart. In terms of what's next for me in fashion with our brand Hello Holiday, which started as a failed tech startup idea and then became a clothing store, um, we see, and we could be totally wrong, but we see in Nebraska and worldwide culture and fashion becoming so inseparable with what's happening on the internet, with the DIY culture, the crossover with zines, the crossover with music, the crossover with writing, um, and magazine, the, that industry is completely changing. And all of this touches fashion. Um, so we are getting more into the, cultural, the space of cultural experiences, parties, events, pop-ups, seeing how we can produce more of those and not keep selling clothing that's manufactured, you know, overseas that we have to buy in huge quantities and have shipped over here to, to keep making money and see how we can get more of a laser focus on the artists like Tuesday Basson, on artists like Big Bud Press that I'm wearing, on these little companies that are around the country um, doing it themselves and becoming the experts at what they do. Because that's what I think our role is as a brand. It isn't making. Um, it might not even be selling. It might be using the platform that we've developed um, and putting people on it who are already doing all that themselves. Um, so, you know, watch this space. This is continuing to develop, but in the next two months, we'll have some big announcements at Hello Holiday. Maybe one month. <laughs> Don't pressure me, it's hard. <laughs> well, I really like to thank Amanda, Trehu, Tuesday, and Megan to really share personal and authentic stories to everyone and Lincoln calling to arrange this panel discussion. And thank you everyone for coming. I'm sure you have a little few more minutes to stay and uh, maybe get some personal questions if you'd like to come, uh, come up to our panelists and ask Just a question. Let me go get a drink first. <laughs> Thank you, and please give a big hand to our panelists. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to Fashion Your Own Way, From Nebraska Roots to National Success, a Lincoln Calling panel discussion. Presented by KZUM Radio in Lincoln, Nebraska. For more on this series, visit kzum.org, lincolncalling.com, or most places podcasts are available. That will do it for this episode of the Lincoln Calling podcast series. Thank you for listening.